If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. People definitely want more out of their food. They just don't know how to get it. We're given a certain kind of system. And then most people think you have to just accept the system. If the city isn't providing this for me, if some other company is not going to make a kind of market that makes sense for my lifestyle, then I'm going to make it for myself. And I'm going to make it for my fellow New Yorkers that also feel the same way that I do. To address the unsustainability of our current food production, how can we work towards having localized and regenerative food systems? What do we need to know about the mislabeling or greenwashing of our food products? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To sign up for Green Dreamer's newsletter, which includes weekly episode highlights, positive news to note of the week, and a preview of who you'll hear from next on the show, just head to greendreamer.com. I write these myself and look forward to having you there. So again, that's greendreamer.com. For now, to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Local Roots NYC, a food subscription service that is revolutionizing the way New Yorkers shop for food by bringing a customized farmer's market right to you. She believes the way we eat can change the world and is dedicated to healing our food systems through connecting regenerative food production with local communities. For her work, she was awarded Entrepreneur of the Year by former Mayor Bloomberg, and you can learn more about her social impact business journey on Viceland's show Hustle. But of course, you're going to get a glimpse into that here as well. So Green Dreamer starting off with what inspired her passion for nature. Here's Wen Jae Ying. You know, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to work in some sort of social impact realm. Of course, that term social impact wasn't really a phrase when I was a kid. I grew up in the 80s. But I never actually had a connection to nature until maybe out of college. I was given an article by an ex-boyfriend, actually, about how there's an increase in bodegas in um, New York City and a decline of supermarkets, and that New Yorkers are going to the bodegas to buy their groceries. 
and they end up because the food's so unhealthy, they end up going back to that bodega to get, you know, medicine for their health ailments. Mm-hmm. And then he also told me that there's this great program called um, AmeriCorps where you can work for a nonprofit. Um, he suggested this, this food justice nonprofit because in his words, you get along really well with them. They walk around with their shoes off. I was like, great. <laughs> um, so I worked for one year for this food justice nonprofit. It was honestly my first connection to food and my first real connection to nature and the land. And I absolutely fell in love with it. To me, I really, really loved the way that it brought people together, these community-based markets. It was a time when my whole family had moved out of New York City. So I was really longing community for personal reasons. I just love the way that food connects us to nature and our land. And it's this really easy way just by eating local food. I found that you can make such a difference in so many other parts of your life, right? It affects your health. It also affects the way that we care for land. It shows a vote for, you know, having a more sustainable world. And I also love supporting the small farmers. I must have been like 23 at the time. So that was my first real connection to nature and realizing that we can have a really big impact in the world around us just by making these small decisions. Mm. You really see that everything is all connected, people and nature, when you really dive into looking at food. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even eating food, right? When you look down under your plate, it it connects you to yourself too. You know, you start thinking about how does this food make me feel? Does it nourish me? And you think about your nostalgic childhood. Did my parents cook a similar dish to this? You start asking your family about, you know, food stories. And not, not only connects us with the nature around us and the people around us, but it also connects us with our emotional um, history too. Um, You talked about food justice. What did you initially learn about food injustice that made you want to further dive into the space and eventually start Local Roots? So in the beginning, injustice to me was that it's hard to access this kind of food. And there's injustice in the fact that our small farmers who work their asses off have a really hard time making a livelihood out of this. Mm. So everything is really positioned against people that want to have regenerative agriculture. And when I say regenerative agriculture, I really mean, you know, the kind of farming that does not use pesticides or antibiotics. And it's really taking care of the land and the vegetables and the animals that are on the farm. It's thinking about generations to come when you're farming, not just right now in a profit. I guess my entryway to resolve that issue is really just making local food the shopping experience more accommodating to people's lifestyles. You know, in New York City specifically, we have our specific lifestyle. It's really fast paced. We're constantly making decisions throughout the day. We have to really streamline everything we do. So I wanted to make a system that fit into someone's social life. So that in one level is like a gateway into making food more accessible. And then in addition to that, making the education around food more fun. So, you know, there's so much uh, marketing material out there. There's so much content about food that it can feel can feel really intimidating that you kind of just turn your head. But if you can make it really fun and um, a little sexy, I think people are more likely to listen. And also the access to food that they can trust was something I wanted to uh, solve in the beginning, you know, so not only finding really amazing vegetable farms, but also finding really wonderful livestock managers, um, bread makers, cheese make cheese makers, you know, so that you can have a full diet and all access to your groceries grown and produced by people that you can trust their standards of, of their work. 
And so for someone not familiar with your work, can you share a little bit about what exactly Local Roots does and how you service your customers? Sure. So Local Roots NYC brings a customized farmer's market direct to New Yorkers. If you are already in the food scene, it's called the CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. So essentially what our customers do is they prepay on our website for three months of food at a time. They're subscribing to a season and they choose categories like vegetables, meat, fruit, eggs, cheese, and everything comes from a local farm within two hours of New York City. That is our definition of local, two hours from New York City. Once the season begins, they go to a pickup point in their neighborhood and they pick up their food every week. So all of our markets are at bars, cafes, and offices, and we also offer home delivery. When you're at the market, you bring your own bag. We tell you what's in season that week. It's generally the same quantity every time. Uh, just the varieties change out throughout the season. And we give you a recipe card. We offer dish ideas in person. It's almost like a little gift of local food. It's your food. It's your recipe card. It's your community all at once. Mm. So would you say this is kind of bridging the gap between CSAs with like the modern New Yorker's lifestyle? Yeah, uh, people have defined local roots as a modernized CSA. Some people have said it's a millennials version of a CSA. So it's definitely a hybrid between the CSA model and that modernized like on demand, but also uh, more something of a curated selection for customers. Mm -hmm. What was that process like for you in terms of clarifying your ideas, hashing things out and then finally turning them to life? I am someone who really bases a lot of decisions on um, intuition. I honestly never drafted out any kind of business plan. I just had a really strong vision. And really the long story is um, I found myself in my early 20s really lost with a career path. I knew I wanted to do something that benefited my neighborhood and community, but I wasn't sure what that was. I had this dream of dancing on stage with this band called The Flaming Lips. And they picked me to dance on stage. Afterwards, you hang out with the band after, um, after the show. And the lead singer was asking me what I did for for my living. And he had suggested after I told him what I wanted to do, which was, you know, do some kind of give back program to the, the community. He suggested, hey, why don't you stay within your own local region and think about the, what your community needs versus trying to, you know, travel around the world to find like the next, you know, uh, natural disaster to help out with. So mm -hmm. I took that advice and I stayed in New York City. I worked for AmeriCorps, like I mentioned, and then I worked for an orchard and they had a change of ownership with the farm and they really wanted to go larger and corporate. So they essentially, like most corporations, when that's happened, they lay off a lot of people. I was one of them. So I remember like crying on um, in downtown Brooklyn on the phone with my mom, you know, because I had worked really hard for this company and then all of a sudden I didn't have anything. But I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. But that job did not exist anywhere in the world. So she suggested that I start my own company. I told her she was crazy. I had no business experience. I was like 25 at the time. Who was going to trust me? But um, I felt so strongly about the work I wanted to do that I just, you know, kind of closed my eyes and crossed my fingers and uh, just followed um, this vision I had. You are a female minority business owner. Um, were there any specific roadblocks that you faced uh, that you feel like may have been related to your identity? It was never when I had my own company. You know, when you have your own company, I'm lucky enough to have control over the kinds of people that we work with and partner with in the situations that I'm um, introduced to. 
I have had challenges in the past, you know, um, when I worked for different people. So say like at a, a warehouse situation, uh, a produce warehouse, just having people not, you know, they're, they can be sexist and view you as an object. And they also think that you can't carry things. You're just not able to accomplish some things. But it, it took me about like six months to prove them wrong. And then they, I earned their respect, which is kind of, it is what it is. But luckily, since I've had my company for about eight years now, um, I just have a really supportive community in food. Um, and if anything, I think it works to my benefit because as a female, this is not the case for everyone, but I feel like a strength that females have can be trusting more of their intuition. I've been able to make many decisions because of that. And there's also something with farming itself is really intuition based. It's really understanding internally, like your farm and your connection with your farm. So I think that also helps me be able to communicate and relate to the farms we work with as well. I feel like intuition is really hard to pinpoint, but do you have any guiding tips that you can provide us in terms of what it takes to tune into the right intuition and follow that. So how do we weigh like intuition with practicality or with what we think we're able to do? It's a challenging question. Um, for myself and my experience, I have such a strong mission and vision in my life that my intuition, I combine my intuition with the best way to reach that goal. I think it's important to clarify between intuition and creativity because a lot of times I have these crazy ideas and because my business is now my main outlet for creativity, I get all these crazy ideas. They come all at once. I want to kind of like blurt them out. And some of them are probably good ideas, but majority of them probably aren't realistic to do in a business setting. So I really try to weigh things out like, okay, is this idea intuition or is it creativity? Is this going to actually help me achieve the goal I want? And is it going to create the best outcome for the work that's put into it? To me, creativity feels like a surge of energy in my body and intuition just feels like it just feels right. You know, like it's not like a, it's not a high. It sounds like it's really important to pair our intuition with our mission rather than creativity with our mission, because there may be like a lot of different ways to solve a particular issue or a lot of different ways to uh, work towards our goal, but intuition can more so provide a, a clear path towards that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've definitely made decisions because I thought it, like it was fun, you know. And that's, I mean, that's also part of running a business is you kind of have to still make it fun for yourself. But the more you're in business and the more you want to grow, the stakes are higher. The more you have to really think through the ideas. So to me, it's like every decision you make is like you think about your North Star, your North Star, which is your mission. Is this decision going to make it so that more people support local farms? And it's important to take yourself out of the equation a lot, too, because to all like, you know, the entrepreneurs out there, we have a really strong vision or an idea of what we want to do. And it's really easy to get stuck on a set way, a set path of getting there. But you have to think about your customers and the people that are within your network, you know, so it's not just meeting your customers halfway, it's meeting them like three quarters of the way or most of the way with still maintaining your own values. I'd love to shift gears a little bit. So today you focus on helping us work towards more sustainable localized food systems. But I, I'd love to understand, like, where did we go wrong? So how did we come to adopt such an unsustainable 
food system across the United States as the norm? Yeah, it's a really big question. <laughs> yeah, there's. I'm sure there's a lot of layers. I would say in the easiest way to explain it, a couple decades after World War II, the population started to increase in America. And we really needed to find ways to streamline everything we did. You know, we streamlined our factories to for production. We also streamlined our agriculture, which is where like factory farming comes in. So to feed the growing um, population, systems were put into place to grow more food in a more uh, economical way. So this means a lot of like monocrop uh, mono farms, which means just like having one crop on a farm. Because if you think about it, if you're just focusing, it's it's like any kind of production of any kind of product, right? If you're just focusing on one product, then you can kind of like create that product, the highest yield for it at like the lowest cost, right? So the same thing with farms. So people started to focus on yield versus quality, also versus diversity of crops. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, a mainstream understanding that the government subsidized certain crops. You know, we grow so much corn and soy, and it means that our diet is not really diverse anymore. It means that we're not growing a diverse amount of food, which also means that the soil that we have in this country is kind of depleted of nutrients, right? So if you think that you're growing the same kind of food in the same land year after year, eventually that soil is just going to get exhausted and tired. It's the same idea as like, you know, if you're scratching at like your skin in the same place, right, even itch, eventually you're going to kind of like, you know, hurt yourself. But if you think about diverse farming, which is what smaller farms will do, you're growing something in one field and then you're rotating where that crop goes the next time around. So you're really diversifying where you're growing things and you're making it so that the nutrients from each crop. So say like, you know, you're growing carrots somewhere it has, it's, it, it's giving the, the land different nutrients than maybe if you're growing uh, potatoes. So you're mm -hmm. diversifying also the nutrients that are in the soil. So it sounds like in the name of efficiency, we separated all the elements of nature, thinking that it can function like a machine where when you focus on one thing and only that one thing, you can have higher yield. But in doing so, we forget that Nature is really complex and needs to work together like a holistic and circular ecosystem. Yeah, it's the difference between a virtuous cycle and a vicious cycle, which is exactly what you're talking about. In addition to that, you know, like in modern times, it's even getting worse because you have, for example, Bayard now owns Monsanto. So if Monsanto is, Monsanto is a, a large company that essentially produces seeds for farms, but they also so are the ones to produce pesticides. So if you imagine if you're growing crops that uh, Monsanto is is selling them and these crops become resistant to pesticides because like anything, like if you're taking antibiotics, right, if you keep taking it, you're eventually just going to not have a, a reaction to this antibiotic, right? And then these crops become resistant to the pesticide. That's like one part of the vicious cycle. And say... We are eating food that we start having like react like negative reactions to health wise. Then we're going back to Bayard, which is the same company as Monsanto to get medicine for that. So everything is like 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 I was saying in a positive way that food connects us with everything. It is also in the negative viewpoint that food is kind of connected to everything. In this vicious cycle that we're largely in right now, how does this impact the nutrient levels in our food? How does this impact the amount of chemicals or maybe microbial diversity 
within our food? And then how does that impact our health? For example, the overuse of antibiotics in meat production has also contributed to an increase of antibiotic resistance um, in humans. A lot of our food is imported. You know, if you're in New York, a lot of it's imported from like uh, Arizona or California. So we live in this globalized economy where food is also imported for lots of different places. Food is a living plant. Vegetables are a living plant, right? So the second you harvest it, it just begins to die. So if you're harvesting something to commute, say California to New York, it's probably commuting about like six six days. Um, that's probably on like the shorter side. It's losing its nutrients and it's losing its flavor in that whole time. I mean, it's not just the loss of flavor and nutrients through travel, but you can imagine to travel at that distance, farmers have to harvest things at a certain point, right? So they're harvesting it with the idea of commute instead of harvesting something based on flavor, which you would get with a smaller farm that pays attention to these details. So does that mean farmers would basically harvest earlier than they would otherwise if it were intended for a local consumption? Yeah, I mean, like, if you think about fruit, they'd be harvesting things before it's ripe so that, you know, when things are ripe, it becomes kind of soft, right? So they'll harvest fruit before it's ripe, which also means the sugar content isn't really perfected yet. Versus a smaller farm that is local, they are thinking more about the flavor because they're only commuting something about two hours versus five or six days. Mm -hmm. When I talked about soil diversity, soil health is a key component to the flavor in our food. So if you have a farm that is taking care of their soil, which means rotating their crops, it means using compost, it means having, you know, a diverse amount of crops on their on their field. The healthier the soil is, it means that it can create a healthier vegetable. And the healthier the vegetables, it's able to absorb from the soil more so. So it's able to absorb like the sugar content a little more, which is why, you know, a carrot from a local farm, at a, a small local farm that cares about their soil is going to be super, super sweet. And you can definitely taste the difference. In addition to that sugar content, you know, there's different flavor profiles for different soils. So for example, our Pennsylvania farm has a higher sulfur content in their soil, which creates a more peppery flavor. So their radishes are like sweet, but also really peppery. I'd be super, super surprised if a really large monocrop farm who is mostly concerned about yield versus quality is going to pay attention to all these things because it takes a lot of time, you know? Yeah. Um, there's this common saying in terms of how to eat for your health is to eat whole foods. But what's missing from that statement is an apple doesn't equal an apple. A carrot doesn't equal a carrot because it really also depends on how the carrot was raised and the health of that ecosystem, the amount of nutrients in that soil. Because um, I was also reading an article saying that the amount of nutrients on on average in our current fruits and vegetables are much lower than they used to be decades ago. And that's indicative also of our declining soil health. Yeah, and also the apples in the grocery store on average, are one year old. And when things are that old, when you bite into it, you're not getting the nutrients that you think you're getting, right? It's essentially a ball of sugar at that point. So that's the issue is that people think even if they are buying, you know, kale, even if it's organic kale, no kale is the same, you know, so you have to go a little further into asking the kind of questions of, 
the farm that actually grew it and um, how they're actually taking care of the soil, which can be a lot of information, you know, which is in my mind, it is what our customers have told us is really important about the work that we do is because we do all that research for them. But you can still do that research yourself, you know, going to the farmer's market and asking these kind of questions. And how do you think transparency in food production correlates with its social and environmental standards? Because I feel like a lot of the issues we face today in part stem from consumers being disconnected from the stories behind our foods. And therefore, we're often supporting things that we don't really support or supporting things that we don't know are happening behind the scenes. Well, the people don't really know what they don't know. And they can't make proper decisions without knowing. The more people can see how all these things are connected, the more people can understand um, the problems and challenges in our food system, the more they can ask questions and the more they can support the people that are value aligned with what they want in life. Unfortunately, there's so much marketing and food. You know, even Instagram is this huge marketing tool, whether it's a photo of like a really delicious cake or it's a photo of a farm. That's all marketing. There's many things that are broken when you go to the grocery store and you look at something labeled local or labeled all natural or organic because it makes it so that you feel like you don't have to ask questions anymore or it makes you feel like you don't need to see the transparency in the in the food chain. So are you saying that the labels that we see in grocery stores we can't entirely trust? You definitely cannot trust the labels in the grocery <laughs> There's really no regulations for a lot of that stuff, which is really unfortunate. And most people don't realize that because, you know, it's not their job to know that, right? They're just supposed to trust what they see. If you look at egg cartons, right, for example, the term all natural, pasture-raised or cage-free, there's actually no real standard for those things. If you look at a cage-free, quote-unquote, egg, those hens have about one square foot to live in. And they don't actually need to have access to the outside. They can just look at the outside. They can just look at the sunshine, but they don't have to have access to it. But I think a lot of people see the word cage-free or like humanely raised and they think they're making the right decision. But there's no official police like checking out these labels and regulating it. If you're going to be buying something off of a label, I would definitely say like pasture raised is to me the best option because ideally if it's pasture raised and ideally it's direct from a farm, it means that the hens actually can run around on pasture and eat wild things. That's more natural to their diet. And a more diverse diet for the hen means there's more diverse nutrients for the human when they're eating it. And it's more of a robust flavor. So we definitely have to dig deeper beyond uh, the labels that we initially see. But given that we can't entirely trust all of these labels and there's a lot of complexity behind this, how do you think we as consumers can better support more sustainable food systems without letting this complexity overwhelm us? I think the first step, you know, one also very basic issue with food, if, you know, sometimes egg cartons can be a little, I think, nerdy, but (laughs) the word local, if someone's saying that, what does that even mean? I mean, anything is local to somewhere, right? But what is the definition at that store or whoever's selling a product of what local is? So I think that's even just like a really good baseline question to start wondering is what does that term even mean? And if you see the word all natural, right? Like what do they actually mean by all natural? That's a pretty general term. But I would say to like first steps that are really approachable. I mean, I'm obviously a huge fan of CSAs because it is this really direct relationship with a specific farm. So you get to know this farm 
every season, every year that you're buying food from them. In the CSA model, generally, you can make a trip to the farm and actually visit the farm, see where your food's grown. We do farm trips occasionally um, about like a couple times a year to show people where their food is grown. If the CSA model doesn't work for you, I would say go to the farmer's market and ask a bunch of questions. Just start like, you know, like making your way to more alternative markets that are not uh, like a a grocery store or a Whole Foods or something like that. When you envision a thriving planet and future where we live with sustainable, fair and localized food systems in place, what does that picture look like and what do you think we need most to get there? I think we need a combination of really hyper-localized efforts. So just in terms of my own company, like if we're ever going to expand out of New York City, we're going to do it in a way that we get to know every single new city and understand their food system and the farms. It's not going to just be some kind of blanket growth, you know, where we are controlling everything from one hub. And I think localized efforts are super important. It also just means like everyone, I'm not someone who had a background in this, you know? So if someone out there wants to start their own kind of food market, they should do that. And they have the power to do that. All you have to do is find a farm that you like and trust and figure out those logistics but the options out there, there also has to be some level on the on the political level of policy changes. So it's definitely a combination of big picture. What can we do with policy change with also, hey, we can also make a difference as citizens of this country, as individuals to have something that's different, something that's better. Well, it sounds like we have lots of work to do, but um, thank you for your leadership in helping us to work towards more sustainable and localized food systems and setting an, a great example for us to follow and learn from. Uh, so we look forward to continually learning from you. What is next for you and Local Roots and where can we follow you online? So our website is localrootsnyc.com. We are on Instagram at localrootsnyc. Um, the things that we're focusing on, we are crop planning with our farmers. So that means the more subscribers we have, the more we can plan out with our farmers what to grow. So it really is personalized. You know, our customers might be interested in a certain kind of leafy green. And now our farmers are interested in growing that kind of stuff. So that's really exciting to be growing vegetables that are really customized and personal to Local Roots NYC. In addition to that, you know, we are finding ambassadors within New York City to start their own Local Roots market, which has been really great. And, you know, being able to speak more about these kinds of topics are definitely um, in the plans for this upcoming year. This podcast wouldn't be here without you, Green Dreamer, so thank you so much for being here. To become one of our original Green Dreamer supporters, where you'll get bonus monthly Q&A episodes, be invited to join our private Green Dreamer network, and also forever be written down to receive early previews and discounts to everything we work on in the future, just head to greendreamer.com slash Patreon. Your support will really help make it possible for us to continue the show and share more resources on our website, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting us on Patreon or just by being here and sharing Green Dreamer with your friends. For now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting or enlightening social media account or publication you follow? I would say any small business that my friends own. It's That's always nice to see our friends thriving in, in that world. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? 
do good work. Uh, what are you working on right now for your health? Muay Thai, acupuncture, and sleeping more and seeing friends. What are you working on right now to live more sustainably? Really just trying to find easy ways to talk about this stuff with people so they feel inspired to kind of make changes in their own life. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? That regenerative agriculture and minimal waste living is making its way into media and social media. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Just to be curious where your food comes from, that the food at the store is essentially just, you know, you eating a marketing campaign. Um, ask questions. Think about that food should nourish you and should nourish your land and community. So just eat real food. Be curious, ask questions, and eat real food. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. I want to take a moment to thank our new patrons, Abigail, Mark, Audrey, Mary, Jessica, Craig, Lizzie, Gabrielle, Alicia, Emily, Kevin, Evelina, Kristen, Marissa, Tori, Felicia, and Philip. Thank you so, so much for your support helping to make this show possible. If you've been enjoying the show and have found it inspiring or helpful in any way, and you'd like to support the continued production of our podcast on Patreon and join our Green Dreamer Network, you can just head to greendreamer.com slash Patreon. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. As always, you can find our show notes at greendreamer.com slash 121 for episode 121. Reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, as well as on our podcast account at greendreamerpodcast. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.